This is the 35th study of our in-depth Bible study of the book of Acts. We've seen it go from Jesus telling the, the, his disciples, wait in Jerusalem and you will shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to them being empowered in Acts chapter two, to them taking the gospel out into the streets of Jerusalem, running into opposition, spreading to Samaria, from Samaria all the way down to Joppa where the first Gentiles got saved in Caesarea Philippi. And then uh, enemy of the gospel, Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, the apostle got saved, went to Damascus, spent time in Arabia for three years and then went on his first missionary journey. That's the latest thing that we covered. We saw that he went to Cyprus, then Antioch, Pisidia, and then he went to Iconium, Lystra and Derbe, which are in the region of Galatia, which the book of Galatians was written to. It was there that Paul had that horrible event of being stoned and left for dead, but reviving and going back into the city. And then they traveled and they established elders and they, they strengthened the brethren, all these Gentiles that had gotten saved. And then they went back to Antioch. This is a different one than Pisidia. The Antioch had sent them out. And chapter four ends with this. They stayed there a long time, strengthening the brethren. So Paul and Barnabas stayed there in Antioch and they worked together. Now, chapter 15, verse one opens up with this. It says, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. This is people coming from Judea, Jerusalem, and they're coming down to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas are saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now they bring the first false doctrine that in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. That's not the only thing that we say in a moment. We're going to see that it's even more than that. They're saying you have to become Jewish. You have to keep the law. You have to eat kosher. You have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. That's what they're saying. Now, this is the first false teaching to enter into the church. It will not be the last. In fact, the Bible tells us that in the last days, there are going to be many false teachers. Listen to what 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says. And I have a question for you. Do you think we're living in the last days, by the way? It sure seems like it, doesn't it? I don't know if we are. This may be a birth pain and we may have more birth pains before Jesus returns. So all we know is we're supposed to stay ready and keep our eyes on the skies. And birth pains help us to do that. We go, things are so crazy right now. Jesus could return. I'm going to be ready for him. And how are we ready for him? Knowing him, walking with him, making sure things are right between us and him. But this is what the Bible says the last days are going to be like. This is 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who's the they there? The church of the future. The time's going to come when the church doesn't endure sound doctrine. They'll hear sound doctrine and go, I don't like that. I want something different. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. We're living in those days where churches are no longer hanging on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're no longer preaching the gospel of Jesus. I'm not saying it's every church. I'm not even saying it's the majority of churches. All I'm saying is there are churches out there that do not preach the gospel. And they put this in a certain category. 
When my wife was attending another church, she had talked to someone who was there and the church that they were at had started to become more modernized. And um, they said, she said something about Calvary Chapel and, uh, and he said, oh, we send certain people there. <laughs> Probably meaning the people who were like, we want the gospel. We want, we want more of the scriptures. And they're like, well, we got the perfect place for you to go. You're gonna get this on a regular basis. Now listen to what Peter said. That was Paul in Timothy. Listen to what Peter said about the days, again, of false teachers. But there will also be false prophets among the people. So there's gonna be false prophets among us. Even as there will be false, oh, excuse me, let me read that right. It's, it, I might as well read it correct, right? But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Like you gotta be circumcised to be saved. You gotta keep the law to be saved. You gotta speak in tongues to be saved. You gotta be baptized to be saved. You gotta, you gotta um, keep the, the dietary laws in order to be saved. They bring in, uh, bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves a swift destruction. In Acts 20, Paul is leaving and going to Jerusalem. He's, this is his third missionary journey by the time we get to Acts 20. And he's, he's brokenhearted because he's leaving Ephesus for the, first, for the last time. He's in Corinth. He doesn't go to Ephesus. It's a bit in, inland. He stops instead by the beach and meets the elders at the beach outside of Ephesus, about, I don't know, 100 miles or so. And here's what he says to these elders. He, he cries with them. He weeps. And he says to them, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things and drawing away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. Now, the best way we can be equipped to not fall for false doctrine is to know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. If you know what the gospel is and somebody comes to you and says, listen, you got to go to church on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. You got to keep the Sabbath in order to be saved. The irony of this is they're not even keeping the Sabbath. They're going to church on Saturday and the Old Testament never said go to church on Saturday is keeping the Sabbath. There, you, you were restricted on how far you could travel. You were restricted on works you could do and you were to put your focus on God. I would have more respect for the Sabbatarians if they said, we're not gonna go to church on, on Saturday. It's too far away. We need to move within a walking distance because you can only go so far. But what they've done is rewrite the, God, the, the Sabbath and then teach the commandments of men. You gotta go to church on Saturday as if they are the commandments of God. This is exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You teach the commandments of men as if they are the commandments of God. Then they tell, tell all of us because we're here on the Lord's day, the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead, that we've taken the mark of the beast. I've never understood that connection, by the way. You go to church on Sunday, you take the mark of the beast. Doesn't even make sense. Find a new way to attack it. But the best way for us not to be caught up into some false doctrine, and there are a lot of them out there, is to know exactly how it is that you are saved. You are saved by grace. It's not of any works. It is by faith, lest anyone should boast. Why are these cults and these churches that put an emphasis upon works in order to be genuinely saved, why are they appealing? 
Why do people end up in these churches? Because it appeals to the pride. If I can do nothing to be saved, it's all Christ. And tell me, what did you do to get saved? How high did you jump? What kind of a dance did you do? And what if you can't dance? Are you, can you get saved then? What can you do to be saved? You can do nothing. You said, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. You received a free gift. And that's what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is a gift. You don't earn a gift. We're going to give gifts to our children in celebration of the birth of our Messiah. The gift given by God to us in the Messiah coming to this earth to give salvation. We're going to give gifts to our children. We don't make them earn your gift. You got to clean your room for three weeks before you get your Christmas gift. And if you do that, stop it. That's mean. I'm not saying you don't make them clean your room. I'm just saying don't do that. So we receive gifts. So I would like to cover what the gospel is for a moment that you really understand it before we continue to take a look at what they taught and tried to add to the gospel. So this is in 1 Corinthians 15. This is written about two decades after the resurrection of Jesus. And scholars believe that this little section was given to Paul and was written as an early creed so they wouldn't lose the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel, okay? This is 1 Corinthians 15 verses, we'll, we'll read one through four or so. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, euangelion in the Greek, the good news. He says, I declare to you the good news, which I preach to you. That's the first thing we learn about the gospel to these who are in Corinth. Paul came there and he preached the gospel to them. He's going to explain what the gospel is in a moment, but he preached it to them. This is part of what every church needs to do. Doesn't matter to me how you do it. You can put it into your services. You could give people a chance afterwards by hearing the gospel. You can give gospel presentations. You could come out during worship in between songs and give a gospel presentation. It doesn't matter how you do it as long as you give it. And so he says, I preach the gospel to you, which also you received. The first thing that we learned is it was preached and they received it. The Bible says as many as receive him, he's given the right to become a child of God to those who believe in him. So then he says, and in which you stand, I preached the gospel to you, you received it, and then you stood in it. You received it and said, this is it, and this is how I get saved. And he says, by which you are saved, preached, received, stand, saved. You've gotten saved by the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There's nothing else. Notice there's nothing in there about speaking in tongues, nothing in there about keeping the law, nothing in there about going to church on Saturday, nothing in there about any other way that people would add baptism, nothing in there about that. Preaching, receiving, standing, being saved. Now he gives us the description. Well, he says something else first. He says, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Now, this is a very important part of understanding the gospel. What does it mean to believe in vain? Does it mean that they believed and they got saved and they lost their salvation? That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that the scriptures foretold it. You believe he died for your sins. You believe he was a real person. He lived for, for revealing Christ to us and then died on the cross for your sins. You believe that. And you believe that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day. You believe that but there's something else in your life and you don't follow him. 
maybe there's a sexual relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And you know that if you give everything to Jesus, you're going to have to stop that or get married. <laughs> or, or maybe you're in an, an affair and you know there's got to be a complete repentance in your life. So you believe all those things, but you believe in vain because you're not following him because you haven't given your life to him, even though you believe all those things. It's generally a moral issue. It's why young men and women often don't give their lives to Christ because they want what's in the world. They look at the world, they say the world's got something to offer you. Can I say this as someone who, who walked away from the Lord to walk into the world? My own experience, the world has nothing compared to Christ. I learned the world has nothing to offer me, that Jesus has everything. And I lived a year of my life believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead. I never didn't believe those things, but I believed in vain for a year. I lived apart from him. And maybe you're doing that today and you're believing in vain. Paul says, unless you, you believe in vain. Then he says this, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Paul saying, I'm not giving you anything I didn't receive. I got this and I'm giving it to you. He didn't make it up. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray and God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's foretelling before Jesus was ever around 700 years. Then Jesus came and died for our sins. It was foretold in the Old Testament. That's not the only place, by the way. Not only that, he was buried, it says. And that he rose from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. And so the Bible has three places, at least in the Old Testament, that foretell the resurrection of Christ. Do you believe that God has raised him from the dead? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? That's the gospel. Then it goes on to say that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, he rose again according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, the 12. And so there was evidence of people that he, he, he revealed himself to as the resurrected Lord that were still around during the days that this was written that he could go and see. Now that's the gospel. You don't let anybody add anything to that. You, you, it's preached. You receive it, you stand on it, you're saved, unless you're believing in vain that Jesus died on the cross for our sins is foretold by the scriptures. He was buried and rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And then the Holy Spirit works on your life and brings you into the kingdom of God. If anybody adds anything, and I'm telling you, there are people out there that add things. Just like in their day, there were people saying that they had to be circumcised to be saved. There are people our day that are saying the same thing. Not just circumcised, you've got to keep the law. Listen to what they go on to say. Listen to what happens here. It goes on to say that these certain men come down from Judah saying, unless you are circumcised um, uh, and uh, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. I love the way it's put. Had no small dissension and dispute with them. What does it mean? Paul and Barnabas had it out from these brethren from Judea saying, you can't put this kind of burden upon these people. Paul, Paul did all that. His resume as a Jew, as a Pharisee, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was born to two Hebrew parents. He had kept the law. He had schooled under Gamaliel. He became a Pharisee and he had been, and the zeal of God persecuted the church. And Paul said in the book of Galatians, I counted it all as dung for Christ. All that law that these guys are saying, that you need to have? Paul said, I was there. 
One, one verse I'm going to read you, Paul says, even we came to Christ by faith. What did he mean by even we? Even me and Barnabas, who were incredibly Jewish, incredibly steeped in the law, even we came by faith. So he goes on to say here then, after there's no small dispute, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. That's the next part in this passage. We're not covering it today. We're going to see the council, the first council of the church, as they deal with this false doctrine. In verse 3, it says, so being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia. Now they're leaving Antioch. They're going back towards Jerusalem. They go to Phoenicia. They go to Samaria, where the Samaritans had gotten saved, where Jesus went to the, met the woman at the well, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. They'd gone through Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and, and Antioch, Pisidia and Cyprus, and Gentiles had gotten saved. And now they're describing it as they're going along the way. And it says, and they caused great joy among the brethren. They were blown away. The brethren were Jewish. They were blown away that the Gentiles were coming to Christ. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, Paul is a Pharisee. Some of the sect of the Pharisees. Did you know that Pharisees got saved? Do you know that Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night, was a Pharisee? And that he was a secret disciple? He helped Joseph of Arimathea, another Pharisee, bury the body of Jesus. Do you know that Paul was a Pharisee? There were Pharisees, there were other Pharisees who came to Christ. So now Christian Pharisees, uh, these are Christians, but they are the sect of the Pharisees. They haven't rejected being, being Jewish when they received Christ. They continued in. And so these Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Not only were they saying they had to be circumcised, but they have to keep the law of Moses, which means they would have to celebrate all seven of the festivals that were commanded by the law every year. You know, there wasn't one day of fasting that was, it, you, you set days of fasting to mourn, but there were seven festivals, feast every year that you had to keep. There were new moon celebrations. The Jewish calendar is set up by the moon. The beginning of the moon is the, the beginning of their month is the first day of the new moon. And they had new moon Sabbaths and they celebrated it. Then they had the normal weekly Sabbaths that they had to keep. Then they had uh, dietary laws, eating kosher. These Pharisees are saying they have to eat kosher. They have to keep the new moon Sabbaths. They've got to keep the Sabbaths. They've got to keep the 633 laws that are in the Old Testament. Talk about going from a place of freedom in Christ where the truth has set you free and now you're serving him and loving him and not being bound by anything to a heavy burden laid on your back. Unless you keep the law of Moses, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Now, Paul writes against these things. We've already talked about what the gospel is, but Paul ended up battling this first false doctrine because it moved on from Antioch. It went into Lystra, Iconium and Derby. It went into the region of Galatia which is why Paul wrote the Galatians. It went all the way to Rome. As false doctrines do, they permeate and they spread and people receive them. And so Paul has to write against it in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians. The author of Hebrews is writing against this Pharisee. I mean, this heresy. I mean, he might've been a Pharisee too, but he's writing against the heresy. And so no wonder in the book of Hebrews, he says the law can't save you, but Christ can save to the uttermost. 
All the law could do was show you your sin. Paul says in another place, I wouldn't know what sin is had I not seen the law. But now that I've come to Christ, I no longer need the law. J. Vernon McGee, I don't know how many of you guys are still familiar with him. He's gone to be with the Lord for a while now. He was a PhD, did you know that? But he had this country trying to his voice, everything he said was kind of like that. He said this, and I'm gonna say it to it, my J. Vernon McGee. He said this about the law. May I say to you, my friends, that the law is a mirror and Jesus is the wash pot. What he's saying is you look into the mirror and you see I'm sinned. I've, 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 I, I have uh, malice against people. I have coveted. I have lied about people. I have stolen. I've sinned. And now I can come to Christ and have all that forgiven. And once I've come to Christ, I no longer need the law. The law is good. Why is the law good? Because it shows us what sin is. But now that I've come to Christ, I no longer need that law. And so here's what Paul did. Now, I just want to read these to you kind of quickly. He, he, and, and each one of these that I'm going to read you could be a mic drop moment. Here, people still today, there are two groups of people today. The Hebrew Roots Movement. I don't know how many of you have been exposed to it. I know some of you have because some of your children have gotten involved in the Hebrew Roots Movement and you've talked to me. They're growing. They claim that they are Jewish and true and Jews in Israel are not. And they claim you have to keep the law. They're teaching the same thing these guys taught. If you haven't run into them, you're gonna run into them. I don't know how many of you are on TikTok, but if you are, they're on TikTok giving their little explanations about the importance of keeping the law. There's another group of people, and, and this is a vast group of people who have different kind of beliefs and, and different groups, but they're called, the, the Torah is the Old Testament. So if you're Jewish, you study the Torah, you read the Torah, that's your scriptures. So there's a, there's a, there's a group of people that are not necessarily one individual group, but we call them, and they refer to themselves as Torahism. They believe in Torahism. Even though you're a Christian, you have to keep the Torah. You have to keep the law. So I didn't want you to think that I'm, I'm battling today and going into all of this detail for something that was taught 2,000 years ago. It is a false doctrine today and people are receiving it. People in churches are leaving Christ to go to works, to go to the law. And it amazes me. And it's, I, I think Paul got it right on the nose. It's because of pride. Because if I can do nothing for my salvation, I don't take any pride in that. I didn't jump high enough to get saved. I didn't do any dance to get saved. I can't even dance. I told you earlier. I can't do anything to be saved. But if, I, if I'm keeping the law now, well, the Bible says the just shall live by faith, not the just shall live by the law. Each of these statements I'm going to read you is a mic drop moment. Uh, let me put it this way. If only we had one verse in the Bible that told us we're not supposed to live in the law or that the law has, has, is, is done with us. If only we had one verse that told us that. If we had one verse, that would be a mic drop moment, right? One verse. Let me read you a couple things. This is Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the law. That's kind of a mic drop moment. I'm not under the law anymore. I've been delivered from it. Having died to what we were held by. See, in, Paul puts, he uses an analogy. He says, a woman is married to a man and, and she's bound by law as long as he is alive. But when he dies, now his death has freed her from the law. You and I have died in Christ. 
In, in Galatians, it says, I, have, I, I am alive in Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me and I have died in him. So I have died in Christ and now the law has no authority over me because I have died. That's the point he's making in Romans 7. He says, now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should not serve, uh, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, meaning the law. He says this in Galatians 3, 10 and 11. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law. Not only are there blessings in the law, there are curses in the law. Did we forget that? They stood on Mount Gerizim and on Mount um, Ebal and they, 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 they said the curses from one mountain and the blessings from another mountain. And if you don't keep the law, you're under a curse. This is why the children of Israel not keeping the law were removed from the land. They were removed from the land, first of all, by the Babylonians, then by the Romans, because they weren't keeping the law. They didn't receive their Messiah by the Romans, and they were involved in idolatry with Babylon. In Galatians 2.16, Paul says, knowing, so Paul says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. There's another mic drop passage. If only we had one. We don't have one. I'm giving you a sample Go and read Galatians 3 sometimes and notice how many times Paul says we are, let, are, we are saved by faith, we are kept in faith. It's by faith that we, he makes all of these statements about faith. He doesn't say we're saved by the law, kept by the law, have to walk in the law. He says by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. He goes on to say here, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed. That's where I told you before. Even we, me and Barnabas, believed in Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus. We could have trusted in what we were doing. His resume for Judaism, Paul's, is above everybody else's. And Paul said in Galatians, I consider it dung, rubbish. And then he says that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Mic drop moment. Well, let me give you another one. Galatians 5, 4. You have been estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Mic drop moment. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or drink. Today, both the Torahist movement and the Hebrew roots, uh, the Hebrew roots movement, both of them say you have to keep a kosher diet. Don't let anybody judge you with food or drink. We don't have to eat kosher anymore especially as Gentiles. Look, if you're Jewish and you want to eat kosher, I know a lot of people from Israel who eat kosher. They're Jewish. But I'm a Gentile. I enjoy a cheeseburger. <laughs> I, I enjoy pig. Pig good. I know we call it pork, but pig good, right? He says, don't let anyone judge you with food or drink or in regard to festivals, the seven a year, new moon Sabbaths. Those were Sabbaths that started at the beginning of every month because it was, a, it was during the calendar moon, the new moon Sabbaths which are shadow of things to come, but the substance is in Christ. The law was a shadow of things to come. Jesus became our sacrifice, so we no longer sacrifice. Jesus became our high priest, so we no longer have a high priest. Jesus said not one jot or tittle of the law will be done away with until it is fulfilled. Jesus became the fulfillment of the law. He even became our Sabbath. Hebrews chapter four. 
I find my rest in him. Not in not traveling so much on the Sabbath day. I, I find my trust in him. And we have every day alike in that we lift up Christ in all of those things. Don't let anybody put you under these kind of things. Now, you might think that these teachings are not around, that people aren't teaching them, but I'm telling you they are. Sooner or later, and they're growing. It's appealing to people to have some kind of work that they bring into it. It's appealing for them to say to you, well, you guys just believed in Jesus, but we keep the law. That's appealing to them. It's not appealing to me. I don't want the burden of the law. I have a picture of my mind of somebody walking with this heavy burden on the back and of Jesus in the background going, I freed you from that. See, Paul said, we of all people are the most free. But he said, I only do things that are expedient for me. Those that edify me. We have great freedom. And some of you guys use your freedom as an occasion to sin. But Paul says, let the things that restrict you be the things that are not good for you. Be restricted, you have freedom. But when they're not good for you, restrict then. Do things that edify you, that lift you up, Paul said. But you're free. I have three things for you in closing. Number one, we have the responsibility to make sure we are not deceived. I, I can do everything that I can do but you have the responsibility to make sure you're not deceived. If you are deceived by a false gospel, if you're deceived by a false teaching, that's on you. Jesus said when he was asked about the last days, he said, be careful that you are not deceived. That's all of us. I can't do it for you. You have to do it. When I hear a message that I think might be true, I receive it with joy, but I search the scriptures to make sure it's right. And that's what we need to do. Be good Bereans. Number two, we should have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. If you have a clear understanding of what the gospel is and someone tells you, you've got to be baptized in our church in order to be saved, you can go, no, I don't. Because you know exactly what the gospel is. You could say, I'm sorry that you're under that, that false teaching, but that's not the gospel. And you don't even need to know the arguments in scripture against it because you know what the gospel is. Paul said, God did not send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel. He would have never have said that had baptism been part of the gospel. God did not send me to baptize. This is in, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Paul didn't send me, God didn't send me to preach, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Know what the gospel is. And if you know the truth, you can't be lied to. No one can tell you this is the real way you get to heaven. Number three, don't let anyone put you back under the law. The law revealed who you were, that you had a need. And Christ saved you to the uttermost. In Hebrews, it says the law can't save you, but Christ can save you to the uttermost. Don't let anybody put you under bondage. I watched a video, and this is the last thing I'll say and we'll pray. But I watched a video this last week of a man who had been involved in the Hebrews Roots movement. And he said, I was so worn out keeping the festivals and keeping the, the dietary laws, keeping the Sabbaths. I was just exhausted. And I had to come back to my freedom in Christ. Don't go down that road. Don't try to think that there's some thing that you're doing that's better than others. Salvation is a free gift. Receive that free gift. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can so clearly see that this false teaching that people had to get circumcised and keep the law to be saved was wrong. And it's so clearly seen in scripture. 
And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us, that we would really understand what the truth is and we would live in the freedom of Christ. And as we said earlier in our study, let's endeavor to know you, not what we're doing for you. It's not required that we do something for you. It's required that we know you. And so, Lord, we want to know you. And because we know you, we want to love you more and walk with you more. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.